0: I confess it looks and feels like home. (laughs) It's exciting to see faces I have known for years and to be assured that I'm home. It has been a real task seeking to block a Friday morning just so I can visit us and share fellowship with us. And it has pleased the Lord that We will get to do so this morning, and I thank him for that. I bring greetings from the saints in UCCD, Jabal Ali, to the saints in RCD, Dera. (laughs) We have been praying with you and are encouraged by the reports of gospel growth and Christian impact that we receive on what you are doing this side of the city. A church in this part of the world that is committed to spreading the gospel is a valuable asset to the kingdom. And such is the profile of Redeemer Church of Dubai. We are persuaded that our partnership with you will yield dividends ever so eternal. May Jesus Christ and him alone be praised now and always. Amen. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather at your feet and to hear your word. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you speak to us this morning and sinners will be convicted of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. And the saints will be encouraged to delight in your word. May we live as a people of the word and not of the word. May we live in this world knowing that we have been saved by the word. Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, we pray. Oh, speak to our hearts, we pray, Lord. We need to hear from you. We want to hear from you this morning. Speak, O Lord, we pray. May you and you alone be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Do you know this award winning song by Bobby McFerrin? The song says, In every life we have some trouble. Then it least some of the trouble. Listen to them. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. The landlord says your rent is late. Ain't got no cash. Ain't got no gal to make you smile. According to Bobby, the solutions include the following. Don't worry. Be happy. Put a smile on your face. It will soon pass. Don't worry. Be happy. In the song, he calls on listeners to sing it note for note. And I believe many did. Did you learn to sing it? What is your approach to seeking happiness? Is it the Bobby approach? Don't worry. Be happy. But I have a question. How can I be happy? The Bible is not silent on the subject of happiness. To learn about this, we turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. I read from the NIV. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners Or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff. That the wind blows away. Therefore. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. but the way of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading. Of his word this morning. This psalm. Is like a preface or an introduction to the entire book of the Psalms. It is a gateway to the community of the Psalms. It ushered the worshipper into a right understanding of the right living required of the righteous man. The Psalms was a book of prayer and praise, and the Israelites used it in worship. This was the very beginning of it. Keep in mind the text is a poem So the language can be dense with imageries and parallelisms and metaphors and comparisons and so on. We will unpack as we go along. The outline for the sermon is as follows. Three points. One, we see the two groups of people in the world. Two, we see the two ways they live. And three, the two ways they end. The two groups of people in the world, the two ways they live, and the two ways they end. Number one, the two groups of people in the world. Look at verses 5 and 6. Therefore, therefore, it means this verse is drawing from the preceding verses. Verses 5 and 6, are like the conclusion to the entire psalm. Therefore, the wicked the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. We see two groups of people here the wicked and the righteous. Two groups of people. Verse six for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous the way of the wicked will perish who were the righteous they were the people of god those who lived a life of confident faith in god and worship him to the israelites who read the psalms righteous the righteous had a meaning and to understand what it means let's take a short trip outside of the text To Abraham, where it all began. I entreat you to just pay attention to this as we do so. Years before, the Lord had called Abraham. He had blessed him and promised him, saying, All the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12 and verse 3. And the Bible says this about Abraham. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15 and verse 6. It is important to note that Abraham was declared righteous based solely on his faith in God, not his deeds. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the descendants of Abraham, Israel, continued worshipping this one God that Abraham worshipped. Although at many points in their history, they shifted allegiance to other gods. So when the Israelite read this psalm and came across righteous, he had a certain understanding of what it meant to be righteous and who the righteous were. In fact, in the Old Testament, we read about the significance of faith in attaining righteousness. It was very clear in the Old Testament. So, for example, we read in Habakkuk 2 and verse 4, The righteous shall live by faith. It means, to the Old Testament reader or hearer of the Psalms, when he heard righteous, he was not thinking about someone who did something to be declared righteous, but one who believed in the one true God, and he was declared righteous. Having done so, the righteous then expressed their faith in God by obeying God's laws. So that the obedience of God's law served as evidence that indeed there were people who had faith in God. So it is first faith and then deeds. And then the deeds serve as evidence of faith in God. It's crucial that we get to know the foundation for righteousness. It is faith in God now let's come back to the text this was a short trip to the life of Abraham look at verse 1 blessed is the man this man here is a righteous man and he is compared to the wicked he is compared to three groups of unrighteous people one is the wicked two sinners and three mockers by the way the word man here means both man and woman. Male, female, by way of uh, clarifying. In these days, it's important that you clarify these things. (laughs) Now let's underline and highlight the fine shades of meaning between wicked, sinners, and then mockers. The wicked one is the one who is found guilty under God's law for an offense. But a sinner is one who had a predisposition for a habitual lifestyle of doing evil. The mockers, they they, they were a different breed of people. They were the senior prefects in class. Not only are their lives marked by habitual sin, but they express utter contempt for righteousness and they scorn the righteous. If you read through Proverbs and the Psalms you see the mockers as a people who are arrogantly prideful. They were incorrigible and they stir up strife and anger. So it's as though there is a graduated scale of offenders here. The wicked, the sinner and the mockers. But this morning we have no categories for ranking one as worse than the other. Because all three are guilty before a holy God. And that is grave enough. For our purposes, however, this morning we use the word wicked. As a representative text, as a representative term to stand for all three categories. So, for both wicked and sinners, And then the mockers as well, we describe all of them as wicked. So the two groups of people we see in the text are the righteous and the wicked. Bear in mind the text has given us three ways of viewing the wicked. If I may ask you this morning, which of these two groups do you belong to? Unfortunately for you and for me, there is neither a third group nor a midway position. You are either wicked or righteous. Many of us would associate wickedness with murderers and robbers. But wickedness is just another expression of sinfulness. In this sense, we are all wicked because the Bible says, In Romans 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Indeed, there is only one man in history who flawlessly, perfectly, did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and did not stand in the way of sinners, and did not sit in the seat of mockers. He is Jesus the Christ. All of us, in one way or another, fall short of this standard, of the righteous man, as we see in the Psalms. Romans 1 and verse 18. Get a feel of what God's position is compared to the wicked. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wicked people suppress truth. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. We are looking at the wicked and we are taking another trip into the Old Testament to see what the Bible has to say about the wicked. But God has another viewpoint towards the wicked and we see it in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Ezekiel 33 and verse 11. Wickedness cannot be weighed off with mere wishes. Okay, the preacher says I'm wicked. I just wish I were not wicked. I think I'm not wicked. It's okay, I'm not wicked. No, we don't wish wickedness away like that. It takes repentance from sin, turning from wicked ways, and putting faith in Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness and righteousness. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die in the place of the wicked. The righteousness we are talking about, is actually a gift from God. Hebrews 8 and verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So it tells God to forgive the wickedness, which is a debit, so to say, to our account. Righteousness is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. So, Listen to this from the New Testament, Romans 5 and 17. Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, from the Old Testament, we saw how Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And in the New Testament, we read how righteousness is the gift. God it is possible to cross over from the category of wickedness to the category of righteousness so this morning I urge you if you have not repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ which by implication means you're wicked a sinner just as I am just as all of us are if you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ I urge you, by the mercies of God, to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ. Do so now. Even now, because tomorrow may be too late. I urge you to do so now. I don't urge you to do it because if you do it, then you are going to become the richest man on earth. As a matter of fact, if you accept Christ, you would suffer with Him and for Him. In spite of that, I urge you to give your life to Christ because it is better than being outside of him. If you are in him, the Bible says you are righteous. If you are outside of him, the Bible says you are wicked. And you are the one that Psalm is talking about here. Primarily, God views all humans in these two categories. We are looking at the two groups of people in the world. God views all humans in these two categories of either righteous or wicked. He does not discriminate based on nationality or gender. Is this your approach to do you discriminate based on wealth or Wasta? You know Wasta? For those of you who are new to Dubai, Wasta, according to what I read on the internet, (laughs) is an Arabic word or term that loosely translated means whom you know. It's about having the right connections and the influence that comes with it. It's called Wasta. And when people know you have Wasta, they may treat you preferentially because you have Wasta. (laughs) Do you discriminate on race basis? along racial lines. No one is inherently more wicked or more righteous than another. Even the people with Wasta. The truest Wasta, properly defined, is obtained through Christ. It's about whom you know. If you know Christ, then he connects you to the Father. The king of kings and the lord of lords. So you may not know the kings of the land, but you know the king of kings. You may not know the lords of the land, but you would know the lord of lords. Waster, properly defined, is found only in Christ. This wicked, righteous categorization has grave, eternal implications. And we are required to tell unbelievers about it. Believing that by grace they may transfer from wicked to righteous category. Do you do that? When was the last time you intentionally spoke to an unbeliever about the good news, about the bad news, that he is wicked? These are the two groups of people in the world. Let's go to the second main theme for this morning, the two ways they live. And the psalm has a lot more to say for the righteous man than about the wicked man, perhaps because the psalm was meant to be an introduction into the worship life of the righteous man of the one true God. I will highlight four characteristics of the lifestyle of the righteous man. 1. The righteous man enjoys a happy condition. Verse 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. What does the word blessed here mean? The word interpreted blessed also means happy. Or more correctly, more than happy. It means fortunate. Blessedness it's a state of utter satisfaction in God based on what he has supremely done for us through Christ Jesus. Contrary to popular notion, the Bible is no killjoy. It is not God's specialization to reign on the parade. Look at that. The entire book of the Psalms, the book of prayer, praise, The book that was critical to the devotional lives of these people of God begins with blessed, happy. The entire book. And it is not happy should be God or blessed be God, but that blessed is the man. It is about the happiness of God. So who says that God of the Bible reigns on the parade and locks all the doors to excitement and happiness. If you fed this information into a computer, your monitor will just blink. Error. 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 Because we see clearly, our God is not intent on sitting on our happiness. Not at all. He seeks our happiness, but of course not as the world does. He seeks for us a lasting happiness that spans time and swells into eternity. Happiness that is not only constrained to this world. But is also relevant. Even in the afterlife. So. Even Jesus Christ. Amplified and expanded on this theme. In the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. 3-12. Jesus talks about. The blessedness of man. You know them? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are. He kept explaining them. And the conclusion he gave was this. Rejoice and be glad. This was Jesus Christ teaching his disciples. Rejoice and be glad. A man who hates happiness will not teach his followers to rejoice and be glad. But he puts it into context. He gives a reason. Why? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. In Philippians 4 and verse 4, Paul says, rejoice. And then he shows how. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. So we are not supposed to anchor Our happiness, on our feelings and our assets but on the word of God if you are a Christian and you've been experiencing anything apart from joy if you are not experiencing joy over the past few days or weeks or months maybe you are viewing life from a perspective that is at variance From the Bible. If you maintain the right perspective. You would have this sense and understanding. Of blessedness and happiness. In the Lord. That is the first characteristic of the righteous man. He enjoys a happy condition. Second characteristic. The righteous man avoids ungodly associations. And we have three negative examples in verse 1. To help us see how the righteous man avoids ungodly associations. Verse 1 again. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of mockers. These are negative examples of what the righteous one will not do. So he will be happy. These verses or these lines are making the same point but typical of poets they'll make a point they'll say it again they'll use different words different phrases different imageries to stress the point so there's one point here it's about ungodly associations and how to avoid them but we view it from different perspectives even then we cannot fail to observe what seems to be an apparent pattern of degeneration In the sinner's life. Look at the three verbs. Walk. Stand. Sit. It reflects a reducing velocity. Reducing mobility towards evil. Walk. Stand. Sit. Poetically, they reflect increasing association with. And commitment to. Evil doers. In a manner that governs and influences one's life. It comes to shape your life. The picture goes from walking alongside. To not simply standing still. But actually taking a stand. In favor of sin. That is what the stand here means. You take a stand in favor of evil and sin. There is a willful intent. To side with sinners. That is what it means. The third verb sit. Here, it can mean sit down. Like you are sitting now. Sit down. Or, as is often the case, it means dwell. You know your dwelling? Where you dwell is where you abide. So where you dwell is your dwelling, and where you abide is your abode. Here, the sinner begins to dwell with mockers. He takes up Permanent residence with them. The righteous man also avoids the counsel. The counsel. What is counsel? It means advice, influence. He avoids the counsel of the wicked. And he avoids the way of the sinner. The way of the sinner reflects his behavior, his lifestyle, his manner. His established pattern and methodologies. The righteous man avoids that. And he will not set camp, nor live in community with the mocker. Obviously, we see that the ungodly influence of the wicked is to be exerted by means of ungodly counsel over the mind of the righteous one. How do I know? The Bible says, the blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel. So the righteous one sets off protecting his mind where the council will register, from the influence of wicked people. It has always been about the mind, folks. The battle is always for the mind, the control center of the human being. It's always about the mind. It's important to mention that this scripture is not discouraging us from relating with unbelievers, unbelieving colleagues, at work or school or in our neighbourhoods, not at all. Indeed, there is a degree of acceptable relations with unbelievers that is necessary for meaningful evangelism. It is also the reality of life on earth that we will definitely interact with unbelievers. The taxi driver who brings you to church or takes you to town may be an unbeliever. I mean, it's part of life. But the point is this. We need to decisively, like the righteous man in Psalm 1, take a stand of refusing to walk in the counsel of the wicked. We need to make that decision. It is not a passive issue. It's active. You decide. You have to pre-decide. Not to expose yourself to the counsel of the wicked. Who is the wicked and how do we identify them? In our day, the wicked are not always present physically in flesh and blood. They may be present in magazines. You may just have to stop reading. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you dropped a book because it is inconsistent with the Bible? Many of us think a book must be read. If someone has written a book and has been published with a nice cover, then it must be read. But no, a book is not good because it is a book. A book is good because it espouses principles that are aligned and consistent with the principles espoused in the word of God. So don't read just in a book. Some of it reflects the counsel of the wicked. The wicked today are at work through the internet. Some of the websites are actually toxic to our souls. Even if they are designed as Christian websites. We need to cultivate the discipline of reviewing an organization's statement of faith, for example. Before we browse their websites. Otherwise, you will be feeding your mind with toxin. The counsel of the wicked. If you need recommendations for good Christian literature and websites, talk to your elders. I've heard of Christians who spend Friday morning jogging, going for a walk, or golfing, or sending their children for sports practice. You mean, as a parent, Christian, you think the best place to spend Friday morning is playing rugby or soccer or tennis? Friday morning is for church. The assembly of the saints. To share fellowship with them. To hear God's word preached. Something definitely must be wrong. When Friday morning is spent by a Christian family. Deliberately. Continually. Habitually. Outside of church. Third characteristic. Of the righteous man is that he delights in the law of the Lord, verse 2. In verse 2, we now see, not the negative example, but the positive. The righteous man does not only stay away from some things, it is not only about don'ts, now there is the do. There is the active, conscious decision-making to do something as a righteous man. And this is what he does in verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What do we mean by the law here? The law can mean all the instructions and guidance of God, which today is the 66 books of the Holy Bible, rightly divided. Because the word of God in the hands of some can create trouble. Rightly divided. And to meditate on God's word is to ponder it intentionally. Ponder, think it over, toss it in your mind. Day and night suggest a continuity and a committed effort to continually establish the links between our daily engagements and the word of God. So you go through life, if you are conscious of it, you'll be amazed at how many experiences you have that actually reflect the message of the gospel. Because for from him and through him and to him are all things. We all need to delight ourselves folks a little more in the word of God. We need to. We need to work on that. Let me ask you. Let's face it. Do you read the Bible as though your very life, present and future depends on it? Do you study it Are you regular at CLG cell meetings where you get to study the word in small groups? Where questions you cannot ask during the sermon, you can ask them there? Are we really committed to that? Do we delight in it? Is our excitement, our joy, linked to the word of God? When you travel, do you consciously take your Bible with you? Consciously. You pack it and intentionally leave it in your hand luggage so you can read it for hours on the plane. It's a reflection of how much you delight in the Word of God. There is no meditation if there is no scripture memory to tap into. Because when we meditate, we do not seek to blank our minds as some religions may teach. Rather, we seek to fill our minds with the Word of God. You fill your mind with the word of God so you can reflect and prove on it. How much scripture have you memorized beyond John 3.16? I'm very sure you know John 3.16. That one I know. But as for the rest, I believe you know them. I believe. Okay? Even if we take it that at an average of one verse per book, We have 66 books in the Bible. It would mean that you are memorizing 66 scripture verses. Should we conduct a test as to how many scripture verses we know now? Should we try? All of us have some work to do. Fathers, do you lead your family in devotion, teaching your children the word of God as though their very future depends on it? No amount of parenting techniques can save our children. No amount. As we read from the New Testament in Hebrews, it is only the word of God that can judge their thoughts and attitudes and perform the needed surgery on their hearts to get rid of the cancer of sin. It's only the word of God. No amount of parenting techniques does that. It doesn't work. Often there are sermon cards prepared to provide us with information about upcoming sermons in church. It's a good idea to make use of these, read through the text before coming to church. We need to improve on our level of delighting in the word of God. The first quarter of the year is almost ending. How many good Christian books have you read this first quarter? Those who delight themselves in the word of God, read it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Pray it. They believe it. They sing it. They preach it. They teach it. Listen to it. They obey it. They explain it. They clarify it. They defend it. They live by it. And are willing to die by it. Do you delight in the word of God? Do you recognize it as a means by which you would have life? present? and future. Fourth characteristic of this righteous man. The righteous man is fruitful. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. Some trees grow wild, the special of seeds may take place by animals, or by rivers, or by farmers, anyone. And then the tree just grows wild. Others grow in dry ground. But the righteous one is like a tree planted. There is no uncertainty here. There is a deliberate, conscious, intentional effort of planting. And if the planting is like the streams of water so that no matter how scorched the surrounding ground, a constant water source is assured for fruitfulness. That is the righteous man. It yields its fruit in season, means during the season for fruit bearing, the tree does not disappoint. If it is time to pick fruit and you go to the tree, you will get fruit. Can you imagine walking in Israel in Bible time? Then you get to a fig tree at a time when fig trees are supposed to bear fruit. And then you go to this fig tree for fruit and it has no fruit. What would you do? That is disappointment. The righteous man is not like that. He bears fruits, And he bears fruit in season. So you hear people say, I'm a self-made man because I've worked hard to attain a respectable status in life. Well, the righteous man did not say that. The righteous man says, I am God made because I am God planted. It is God who has made me. I did not make myself. What do you say? What do you think accounts for your current standing? Are you planted in the Word of God? Are you rooted in the Word of God? Do you draw nourishment? from the living water that comes from the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. You remember the Samaritan woman at the well who received the living water from Christ and became fruitful, went out and told the villagers, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come, come. Are you fruit-bearing as a Christian? And if yes, what type of fruit are you bearing? Ask the fruit, so the tree. When prolonged drought sweeps across the land, it is a tree planted by streams of water that stands out. Times of drought and adversity may take the form of sickness in our lives. It may be death of a dear one, loss of job, Around this time in Dubai, financial hardship or even extreme provocation by colleagues and unfair treatment from your boss at times from the church when people step on your toes. And it's as though when a Christian steps on your toes, it hurts all the more because you don't expect an association with that. As you can see, everybody steps on your toes. I know you don't step on anybody's toes. In such situations, how do we respond? How we respond to temptation by the evil one is often linked to how rooted we are in the word of God. The qualities of the fruit we are supposed to bear, we can read about it in Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit. It has qualities like love and joy and peace, patience and even kindness. You see their goodness and faithfulness gentleness and self-control you may delight yourself in the word by taking on additional reading from John chapter 15 about the vine and the branches, a very beautiful account of scripture to read from there's a line that says whatever he does prospers it's important to clarify this does not mean that we are insulated from challenges and difficult times in life, if you have been a Christian for some time, you know that the Christian is not insulated from challenges and difficult times in life. It does not guarantee automatic health and wealth and unrestrained happiness. It means when we avoid ungodly associations and apply God's word to our lives, the results will be good and acceptable to God. We will persevere through all the changing scenes of life and by grace, we will remain faithful to the end. What about the wicked? We are looking at the two ways they live. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked. Not so. We've look at the righteous one, all the things he does, not so the wicked. You see the parallelism, the contrastion, the comparison? They are like chaff that the wind blows away. You know chaff? In Bible times, as now, Harvested grains were threshed to get rid of the chaff. And the way they did it was this. They would throw the grain threshed against the wind on very hilly slopes and the heavier grains would fall to the ground while the light husk, the skin of the whatever, would be blown away. The Bible says the wicked are like that. They are lightweight. In fact, the chaff is actually useless. That's why it's blown away. The wicked are like that. The wicked are lightweight. They have no faith in the one true God. And they drift aimlessly. But the righteous one is not like that. The righteous one has an anchor. You know the hymn that says, We have an anchor that fills the soul. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep. In the Savior's love. We have an anchor that keeps the soul. The wicked are not like that. Are you wicked? Are you righteous? When the winds of life blow. Would you be blown away? Or would you be stable? Because you are planted. The wicked may look intelligent. They may be good looking. Fashionable. Eloquent. And excellent at work. But they are still lightweight. They pick the accused for living from celebrities who attend celebrations they don't deserve to go to. These people pick the accused from novels or novels that have nothing novel in them. They chase after fashion and they live by quotable quotes by business gurus. The devil is in the detail. And they live their life by such a statement. The devil is in the detail. And and that, that, that is scripture for them. The fish does not get rotten except from the head. And that's supposed to be a lesson on leadership. And this governs his life. He knows no scripture. He's not planted in the word of God. There are those who think all religions live to God. And so engage in a bit of yoga a bit of astrology, and they maintain a spiritual life of doing good, have adequate sleep, maintain a healthy diet, and have regular exercise. These have never been sufficient basis for securing the soul from the wrath of God. And yet, at times, we envy these people because they appear to do well. Don't envy them. The psalmist says, he used to envy people like this until he en- entered the sanctuary and he saw and understood their final destiny. That leads us to the conclusion the two ways they end. We have looked at the two groups of people, the two ways they live. Let's now look at the two ways they will end. Verse 5 Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This judgment talked about about may relate to adverse outcomes in this life, but it also applies to the final judgment at which the wicked will be found guilty and thrown into hell. The righteous will gather together in the assembly of the righteous before our God, and we would not need to hear, Don't worry, be happy. Because we will not need it. No landlord will say to us. Your rent is late. Over there we will have no need for cash. There will be no tears. There will be no sorrow. There will be no death. We will be happy forevermore. With our King Jesus Christ. Until then. Let's avoid godless company. And delight ourselves in his word and stay blessed in him as a fortist of the coming heavenly happiness. Let's identify with the hymn writer who says, When that day arrives and the race is won, when our griefs give way to deliverance, we will fully know, as we are fully known, all our groans will end as new songs begin. We'll be singing this song in a short while. We'll be singing words like, And a multitude from every tribe and tongue. Wearing robes of white will stand before your throne. And our hearts will be so consumed by you that we will never cease to praise. May our hearts be so consumed by you, O God, that we never cease to praise. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your presence. We thank you for your word. Help us not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Or stand in the way of sinners. Or sit in the seat of mockers. But may our delight be in your word. Being firmly rooted in your word. As we wait for the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus. To take us to be with him. Help us to apply these words to our lives. And bear fruit that bring glory to your name.